Hey guys, this is Drake. Thanks so much for tuning in to our City Church podcast here. It's an honor to have you. Hey, at the end of this episode, we'd love for you to take a moment, subscribe to this podcast channel if you haven't already. Also subscribe to our YouTube channel so we can continue to serve you with content that we're putting out on a weekly basis. And in addition, if we can serve you in any way or connect with you in community in any way, you can visit our website at citychurchboulder.com and we would love to connect with you there. And lastly, and most importantly, I hope this content is helpful to you. It's encouraging, it's inspiring, and you leave better than you showed up. Enjoy. All right, guys. Welcome to City Church. How you doing? We're starting a brand new series today, The Ruthless Elimination of Hurry, and I am so pumped, so pumped to walk through this. It's been something I've been walking through for over a year now, and so we finally have the privilege of of trying to practice that before we present it. Really excited, but before we get there, I have a couple of things just to update you on. A lot is happening at City Church right now, and so we are super pumped to kind of get you up to date. Now, Emily celebrated earlier. I just want to celebrate. We say this often, that you don't just give to a church, you give through a church. And so not only because of your generosity are we serving 93 unique families this holiday season in need around, you know, this COVID thing has been a really, really big challenge to uh, uh, just finances in general. And so we have 93 families already because of your generosity that we're serving. Can you put your hands together for that? That is amazing. By the way, last year we, we served 48 families. So already, I mean, that, that's like almost double, which is crazy. But here's what's even crazier. We're getting ready to share all of this this morning. We roll in, check all the signups. And as of last night, we have a hundred and 69 families that have signed up that are in need this, this holiday season. Holy moly, right? We, our staff were like panicking. We're like, whoa, that's a lot of people. And so I've got a, a massive ask for you this morning. Wouldn't normally do it this way, but it happens to be the space that we're in. And so we need an additional 76 bags toward this Food for Families initiative. And, and a bag is roughly 25 bucks. And uh, up to this point, we've had people go to the stores, you know, pick up the items and, and, and give them. But the deadline for actually grocery shopping, it, it was today. So by the way, thank you for everyone that went and got the items. Super awesome. But we need an additional 76 bags in order to help the families in need. So this is Boulder Collective, as well as, by the way, we have the privilege of serving some refugees through a partner in Denver alongside the same initiative. And so, man, I'm so grateful to be a part of a radical, radically generous church where I can make this ask that basically if every single one of us today would pick up one more bag, then we can serve all of these families in need. And so, again, it's too late to go grocery shopping and get these items, but you can go to our giving platform, text to give, whatever, and there's a, there's a drop-down, food for families, and you give $25 that covers one whole bag. And so I just want to invite you into that. It's not a guilt or shame. It's just an opportunity. We're super pumped to serve all these families. And then here's my second ask. You guys ready? I know that's a massive ask, but then in addition, next Sunday, we are delivering 169 Thanksgiving meals to families all over Boulder. And so guess what? We need your help. <laughs> That's a lot, a lot of people. Now, here's what's really cool. We got some partners. By the way, this is a collective initiative across Boulder with a couple other churches, and so super pumped to come back to you and let you know how many families we serve collectively after the fact. But next Sunday, right after church, here's what I need from you. If you'll sign up on that connection card, even if you're not a first-time guest, you can take it. Oh, I don't have one with me. And there's a little alphabet at the bottom. And if you'll circle the letter D in that alphabet, stands for delivery. You guys with me? And you will sign up to help us deliver. It's so simple. Right after church, you can roll in, pack two bags, and then go drop them off before you hit your lunch next Sunday. So super simple. It's going to be local. You don't have to worry about driving to Denver. We have that covered already for the refugees and things like that. But if you can plan to deliver one or two bags after church next week, that would be an incredibly massive help. Now, here's why this matters. 
These are not just, you know, generosity initiatives and our financial donations to make us feel better about ourselves. You guys understand that, right? That's not why we do what we do. We're radically generous because we have the chance to express the love of God to others. And so what I'm inviting you into is to pick up two bags, go knock on a door, deliver a bag, look someone in the eyes and let them know that they are loved and cared for. They are seen and heard by your presence being there. Isn't that awesome? That's what you have the chance to do next week. And so I'm inviting you. We need your help. Help us love and serve our city well by taking one or two bags. And here's what's really cool is each bag is gonna come with a personal handwritten note from our church. We'll have a little prompt for you. But it's not just a, hey, here's your food, see you later. It's a, hey, we're here for you. No, no, string, no strings attached, no agenda, but we are here for you. We are a church in and for the city. You guys with me? Can put our hands together for your generosity. So grateful for that. Amazing, amazing. So again, circle the letter D on that connection card to sign up, or if you don't, you can still help after church next week. Even if you don't circle that letter D, we would love your help, okay? Now, secondly, this is unique. This is not normal. If you're a guest with us, I want you to know, like, so grateful that you're here. No matter where you are on your spiritual journey, pumped that you're here. Our desire, our mission here is to help people find their way to God from where they are. And that means no matter where you're walking in, our desire is to help you just take a next step, to meet you where you are and help you take a next step. Um, but we're in a very unique season. And so you should have found in and around your seat this little here for good booklet that our team has created. And I would encourage you, listen, if you've not picked one of these up, please, man, pick it up take it home, read through it, prayerfully consider what's going on here at City Church, and inside of that is a commitment card. Now listen, if you're a first-time guest with us, this ask is not for you. While I would never tell you no (laughs) to being a part of this initiative, this is more like a a quick family meeting, okay? So if you're a guest with us, just hear me that, man, we don't want anything from you. It's what we want for you today. But if you are a part of City Church, if you call City Church home, this is for you. We have had the privilege of being in this building since COVID uh, kicked off, some generosity of other churches and things like that, but we don't yet own it. And so we find ourselves in a unique position of having the opportunity to own this property as well as actually some other opportunities opening up in front of us. And if you can imagine Boulder being one of the most expensive places on the planet to live, owning a building is no small task. And so we, we, we have felt led to start this initiative called the Here for Good campaign. And what this is, is we, we, we knew when God called us to Boulder to start City Church, we're a little over a two, two and a half years old, And we knew when he called us here, we were going to be a church in and for the city. While we gather on the weekends, it's an important part of what we do. This is not what defines us. It's what God is doing in and through you, in the world, around you, where you live, work, and play. It's what God is doing through us, that we are the church. We exist for the world, and we're going to engage in those spaces. We're not waiting for people to come to us, but we're going to go to them. You guys with me? Am I the only one excited in the room? Holy cow. All right, so, so listen, listen. We have this opportunity from day one, to be a church in and for the city. And by the way, because of you, because of your radical generosity, we are that church. Right now, when people hear the name City Church, it's not a bad taste in their mouth. Way to go, God, right? Like, way to go, you. That's a massive win. But here's our dream. We don't want to just be a church in and for the city for a few years. We want to be a church here for good. Here for good. And one of the ways that we can have that longevity is through this effort and prayer towards permanence. Now, God's doing a lot. I don't have time to share all that with you today. This book does a lot for you. We have created a landing page on our website. There's a video there where you can catch a lot of the details of what's going on through the Here for Good campaign. Also, that landing page is a tool for you to share it with anyone and everyone that you could possibly think of, okay? And here's our effort. Currently, this building, our seller is looking at $4 million for this property. Everybody's like, (laughs) So if you have $4 million, let me know. That'd be great. But if you're like me, you don't, and you live in Boulder, so you don't have much of anything. (laughs) 
Um, but here's the deal. We feel led to, to make an effort at raising $1 million toward a down payment on this property, or we should have some other chances even after that. So think of this as like option A, and we have other options as well. So we're working toward permanence right now. Again, if you're a guest with us, I know this, you're like, oh man, there it is. There's the church in the mud. Listen, we'll talk about it. Don't worry about it. It's not for you, okay? But if you're a part of this, if this is home for you, man, listen, we're making an effort at raising $1 million toward this initiative. There's a commitment card in there, and we are asking you just prayerly, prayerfully consider how God would have you be a part of the Here for Good campaign. I need you to hear me. Last week, we met with a little over 40 people from our, our core team. And as of today, before any other commitments have come in, because of God's incredible grace and because of the favor that we're seeing, your leaders have gone before you. And as of today, before we've made the ask publicly to our church, we've already seen committed $273,000 toward this initiative. Can you put your hands together for that incredible <laughs> generosity? That's before I've asked anyone else in the room. In addition, we, we sent our letters, 200 letters, to all of our external partners that have helped us plant up to this point, and we're asking you, again, to just pray about. We've already, God has already raised a quarter of a million dollars toward this initiative, and we're confident that he's in this, and so we're just trying to press in and see, all right, God, what's next? And so while we don't have the next step completely, we, we know that without a million dollars, we're not a contender for any property in Boulder. And so we're making that initiative, we're making the ask, but I need you to hear me, let me just very, very clearly. Pray about it, and if God doesn't tell you to give, then don't give. We mean that 100%. If God doesn't tell you to give, don't give. But if he tells you to give, then we ask that you do it joyfully and expectantly, knowing that we are not just planting a church in Boulder or a church for us, but we're planting a church in Boulder and for the West and for the world. You guys are a part of something bigger than yourselves. I just want to say thank you for that. And to remind us, listen, I know that even a building campaign can kind of be weird, and we'll talk about that a little bit today. Um, but we just kind of find ourselves here, okay? We didn't, we didn't stir this up. This kind of all happened in front of us. A couple of months ago, this building was not even an option for us as far as ownership. But in order to remind us that we're a church in and for the city, to remind us that this is not about us, between now and the end of December 31st, this year, December 31st of 2021, every dollar that comes in from our members, we're gonna give away 10% to missions and church planting in the West and the world as an expression of generosity, as a commitment to our mission, that, that we are not a building. A building is a tool to serve our city. All we're dreaming about right now is imagine how much more we could do, how much more good we could do for our city with a space that we can leverage for the good of others seven days a week. That's what we're talking about. And so already today, man, we've seen God do amazing things, and we're going to set the bar high with generosity on the front end. And so everything that comes in between now and December 31st, we're giving 10% away to missions and church planning in the world. And by the way, we've done, we've done that with our regular giving since, since day one. 10% of every dollar that's ever come into the city church has gone back out the doors to missions and feeding centers and church planting around the world. And so, man, I just want to say thank you for being a radically generous church. Thank you for taking the time to pray. Thank you for taking the time. Take this home. Don't leave it in your seat. Pray over it and let's see what God's going to do, okay? And I can't wait. Every week, we're going to keep showing up and celebrating. By the way, if you're a team member and you got it last week, we're asking you to drop those commitment cards in the boxes in the back or going online and filling out the digital commitment card. So our commitment Sunday is going to be the end of this month, November 28th. But we're asking that the sooner that you've prayed about it and God gives you clarity on what you should do, if you should, if you should do anything, to do that ahead of time so we can keep showing up each week and then celebrating what God's doing. Okay, you guys good? Woo, family meeting over. All right, all right, I'm gonna pray and reset because that was a big ask. Okay, let me pray for us. God, thanks so much for the opportunity to gather. Thanks for all of my friends in the room. It is such an honor 
to gather today. I cannot wait to see how you're going to use the time that we have together. Speak to us, challenge us, move us forward, encourage us. And if any of my friends in the room are not followers of Jesus yet, I pray today is just an incredible encouragement to their soul and, and, and an invitation into relationship with you. For those of us that are followers of Jesus, give us a vision for something bigger than ourselves. It's in Jesus' name. Amen. You guys ready? Oh man, I am so ready. Holy moly, that was a lot. Um, okay, so if you were going to pick the number one challenge to a healthy spiritual life. Again, even if you're not a follower of Jesus, if you're just going to pick the number one challenge to a healthy spiritual life, what would it be? Just in your mind, kind of think about that. I think if you ask me, like, what's the biggest obstacle to people growing and having a healthy spiritual life? I would say it's time, or rather the lack thereof. You guys with me? Right? Every significant relationship in your life requires time time specifically to cultivate it, and it's no different with our relationship with God. And so we have this culture of busyness that is just massively permeating and attacking us. I've literally had 10 conversations this week, and the, you know, the question is, hey, how are you? And the answer is, busy. <laughs> I'm just busy, right? And it's funny that even in seasons when you shouldn't be busy, you're busy. And there's a busyness, by the way, that's like a good busyness. You guys know what I'm talking about, like when your schedule's full of all the right things and you're feeling really good about it. But then, in addition, there's this busyness that all of a sudden turns into hurry. And what does hurry do? Hurry starts to deteriorate all of your relationships, doesn't it? Right? When you're hurried, all of a sudden, all the relationships around you begin to deteriorate. You're not present. You're not investing. You're not loving well. And in fact, Jesus, he, he gives us this greatest commandment. I don't know if you're familiar with this, but he said the greatest commandment. You whittle it down to what it's all about. And he said it's about loving God and people. It's that simple. It's an invitation into this simple relationship with God that overflows into our relationship with one another. But you know the problem with that invitation, as simple as it is? is that love is painfully time-consuming, isn't it? It's such a challenge to love people well. It's such a challenge to be present. And so we have this, this unique challenge in a culture where busyness is the norm, where hurry is the num, no, norm, and, and, and busyness and hurry are incompatible with love, aren't they? How, how loved do you feel when someone is walking out the door trying to listen to your story and they just like, you know, you're like, oh, hey, you know, could you get off your phone and give me some eye contact, right? It's, it's funny that these things are incompatible, but you and I live in the constant tension of hurry and busyness. So much so that, right, we live in a culture where, where like calling something slow is actually an insult, right? Like how dare you drive the speed limit? How dare you get behind that bus? I mean, how, you know, we, we are not, we have a need for speed. And as a, resu as a result, you know this probably, that any interior depth when it comes to our personhood, whether it's spiritual or not, any interior depth whatsoever is this battle for us to be present in the moment, to be present to one another, to be present to God, to be present to even ourselves, right? We have this massive, massive challenge in front of us. And then you ramp that up to the holiday season, right? <laughs> And here we are in the busyness of holidays, and you got travel, and you got plans, and you got all these things going on, and then not to mention that Black Friday is about to bombard you, right? And so we have this consumer culture that's about to go into overdrive, and then you have the end of the semester coming up, and end of year projects, and all of these things that ramp up at the end of the year, and busyness is in overload. And so over the next couple of weeks, we're going to press into some spiritual disciplines or, or spiritual practices depending on, on how that word sits with you. And what these are, these are, these are invitations into following Jesus that can lead us into what, what Jesus would call the truly good life or the abundant life. Now, even if you're not a follower of Jesus, I think we all share the challenge of busyness and hurry. 
And the answer is, is there really anything in the life of Jesus and following Jesus that has a, a solution or an answer to this? And by the way, let me give you just a couple of things. If you're taking notes, this is going to be helpful for you. I'm going to download a lot on you today. I want you to think about this is like a 30,000 foot kind of conversation over the next couple of weeks. There's no way we can get into all of it over the next couple of weeks in depth. So think about it as just the glimpse at each one. Following Jesus is not a, a set of ethics. It's a lifestyle. And so while it might result in behavior, it's an invitation first into lifestyle. So practicing spiritual disciplines, for example, they're not the end to themselves. They're a means to an end. They are the conduits, if you will, to God's activity in our lives. So it's not like, you know, I practice a spiritual, I, I do this thing, and therefore all of a sudden all of my busyness is gone. All of the practices that we're going to deal with over the next couple of weeks, again, they're just practices. They are a means to an end. They are utilitarian. What that means is all of it is a goal, the end goal of being with Jesus, loving like Jesus, thinking like Jesus, and specifically, think about this, doing what Jesus would do if he were you. There's that kind of cliche, what would Jesus do? And it's a great question, but I think a better question is what would Jesus do if he were me? If he had my time? my energy, my resources, my stage of life, my kids, my job, my, my degree program, right? If he had my circumstances, what would Jesus do if he were me? And so today I'm going to invite you into the spiritual discipline, the practice of simplicity. But I need you to understand, for example, simplicity is not a virtue in and of itself. You can practice simplicity over the next couple of weeks, and you can still be a control freak. You can still be anxiety-ridden, you can still be unloving because the practice itself does not get you to the life that is truly life. The, the practice is a conduit, a pathway into a deeper, more full relationship with Jesus. Does that make sense? You guys with me? So all of this, I need you to understand, all of this over the next couple of weeks is invitational. So even for the Here for Good, I know this is a lot going on right now, and I know you're getting a lot today, but it's invitational, meaning, meaning there's no pressure I'm making the invitation. You're just simply making a decision, okay? I'm not making decisions for you. And so let it sit in that space that you need to reflect personally and say, okay, where am I? Where do I want to be? And what is my next step? So I want to give you a couple of resources because there's no way I can cover it all today. So just massively helpful resources. Number one is where this uh, uh, series is built off of. John Mark Comer wrote the book, The Ruthless Elimination of Hurry. I read 54 books last year. I'm not bragging. just happened to be what it is. I've not read 54 this year. It makes you feel any better. Number one book on my list is that one right there. Out of every single, and they're amazing books, but this one right here is number one. Massively transforming for my soul last year. So if I could encourage you to pick up any book, pick up The Ruthless Elimination of Hurry. The second one, easy, easy a second, is The Celebration of Discipline by Richard, Richard Foster. Massively encouraging. Again, these are all practices invitational practices. And then I want to give you one more thing. This is kind of unique. It's going to make more sense next week. But there's this book called Waiting Here for You by Louis Giglio. It's a 21-day Advent devotional. Advent is like this kind of that waiting of the story of Jesus kind of between now and, and Christmas. And, and so we're going to actually start together. We're going to invite you to walk through this book, this 21-day devotional beginning in December with us as we approach the Christmas season. And so I'm giving you a heads up now. You can go online and grab this book at bookstores, Amazon, wherever you do your book 
ing, you know, book shopping. But this is an incredible book. I've got it on Kindle. Danielle has a hard copy. 21 days. It's going to make more sense because next week, Maddie is going to be speaking and sharing with us the disciplines of silence and solitude and Sabbath. And so this book is going to speak directly into that, but I'm trying to give you a heads up so you can get it before we start the 21 days. Does that make sense? So if you want to join us, I highly recommend you pick up that book. It's an incredible, incredible resource. Now, disclaimer before we get moving. You thought we were already moving. We haven't even started yet, okay? Sometimes, like, like today, when we talk about simplicity, it's this big conversation about time, energy, money, stuff. Like, it's all connected. And sometimes people get really weird around money, and, and even with the here for good ask, like, I know, it's like, oh, man, churches are weird. They only want your money and all that stuff. And so I just want to, like, make a disclaimer. Like, hey, sometimes conversations around money and stuff, they can get emotional. Sometimes you've even had negative experiences that you roll into that, and so, you, like, you start to tune out or check out or, like, it just brings up negative stuff. Man, I want you to know that one of our values here is consistent transparency. So what you see is what you get. This is not about, hey, give us more of your money. That's not it at all. This is what we want for you. And it's a bigger picture than just what you're doing with your money. This is time, energy, resources, money, stuff. Simplicity is a lifestyle that we're embracing. But, man, I, j- I just want to, like, invite you. Hey, this is a hard topic, and I'm not by any means perfect here, but Danielle and I have been pressing into this discipline heavily over the last year. And while we haven't got it all figured out and there's still more to surrender, I also find myself in the space, genuinely, guys, I am more grateful, more content, and more generous in this season of my life than I have ever been as a follower of Jesus. And I, and I think it's directly related to what God has doon, d- doon, done through these, that's a good movie, by the way, um, <laughs> but what God has done through these practices over the last year. And so, now here's, here's what's ironic, okay? This conversation today, what we're starting today, has been on the calendar all year long, okay? And so then we happen to be in the middle of this Here for Good campaign, and I just want you to let you, I want to let you know they are like by no means related. Like they literally just happen to be falling on the same day. How crazy is that? So my thought was, as I was praying about it, I'm like, man, either God is just that good, or I'm just that dumb. Like, I don't know which one it is. We'll find out, right? Like, so I just want you to know that while all of this is happening, this is where we find ourselves, um, but today's conversation is intentional, and it's been planned all year. And so have some grace with me as we get into it. I promise it's going to be helpful for you and and our souls. So simplicity, what is it? Simplicity is this invitation into, if you're going to ask a big idea, this idea of less is more. Think about it. You and I live in a culture, if you're like me, you've been programmed to believe that not less is more, but more is more, right? Like more is more, but not, not just that, you know, more is more, but more is normally better, right? Like if I've got one dollar, $2 is better, right? If I've got one car, two cars is better. If I've got one kid, well, actually, that one doesn't apply, but, you know, like, if I've got got one Oreo, two Oreos is better. If I've got one double-stuffed Oreo, two double-stuffed Oreos, when you take both sides off and you put them together, that's way better, right? More is better, and we live in a culture that says what you don't have is what you need. What you don't have is what you need. What you don't have is what you need, and less is not more. More is more, and more is better. That's the world that we live in, but sometimes, think about it, sometimes less is more. For example, I bought some new tires for my, my 03 4Runner, I've always wanted big mud tires. I was so, so excited about it. I got a really good deal. Found it on Facebook Market. Got to pick up these tires, and they just barely, I get them on there, and they are just a little too big. I mean, just, they look great, but they rub a little bit, you know? And so I'm like, oh, man, like a little investment. You know, I want to do the upgrade. Let's do that. And so then I'm like, you know what? I'm just going to lift the front end myself. I'm going to save money. You know, I'm going to 
just be efficient. I'm going to lift the front end myself. And so I, you know, I've got time and energy all going into this. I lift the front end, and in the process of lifting the front end to get the new tires that I bought to fit on the car that didn't need tires, but I wanted tires, right? So in the process, I tear both of the boots on my CV axles on the front end. Grease leaking everywhere, and now it's past my pay grade. I have no idea how to, how to fix the axles on the front end of my 4Runner. And so guess what I have to do? I have to take my car into the shop and pay a mechanic to put brand new CV axles, which I did not need prior to this moment, all to make sure that I could have this two-inch lift to fit the tires that I did not need onto the 4Runner that was perfectly fine. I got into it, and I was like, I should have just kept the dang tires that I had. Like, less was definitely more in that moment. Now, let me give you the why behind this conversation. The why behind simplicity is not less of more, you know, let's all go be monks and shave our heads and abandon all worldly possessions. That's not this conversation. Simplicity is an invitation into less of what doesn't matter so that you and I can focus on what matters most. You guys with me? You know, you play it forward. You get to the end of your life. What are people sitting around thinking about at the end of their life? They're not like, oh, bring me my bank account statement one more time, laying in the hospital bed. Oh, let me, let me, let me just see that new pair of Jordans one more time. Oh, like, oh, I just want to take one more motorcycle ride. That's all I want. Let me, let me just see that list of 14ers I climbed. I just need to see that one more time before I go. Or you're like, oh, I just want to kiss my epic ski pass one more time before the season's over. Or like, oh, let me see how many Instagram followers I have just before, you know, it's really all that matters. Or, oh, like, you know what, let me just let me check out these biceps, you know, like, oh, yeah, like, worth it. You know, like, oh, bring me all my diplomas real fast, right? At the end of people's lives, we know, you know this is a cliche, that the most important things in life aren't things. You know that. But then we live in a culture that is completely bombarding us with the opposite truth. Jesus said it this way in Luke 12. Watch out. Be on your guard. Double emphasis against all kinds of greed. Life does not consist in abundance of possessions. The most important things in life are things. You and I know that, but we have a hard time living it, don't we? And so here's what happens. When you and I begin to define in our lives what matters most, you know what happens when we really get that target correct? We're like, you know what? People are the things that last forever, right? Relationships, memories, experience. We, like, we know what matters. Making a difference with this life. When we start to define what matters in our lives, what we start to realize is we spend a lot of our life chasing things that don't matter, don't we? And we think we are taught what you don't have is what you need. What you don't have is what you need. Black Friday's coming. Alexa is listening. What you don't have is what you need. Check out this quote from the 1800s from a guy named Paul Mazur from the Lehman Brothers to kind of show you the, the culture that we live in. 1800s, we must shift America from a needs to a desires culture. People must be trained to desire, to want new things, even before the old has been entirely consumed. We must shape a new mentality in America, that man's desires must overshadow his needs. This is where we get the, the idea of planned obsolescence, or in other words, why you want a new, fi a, a new iPhone every year before the old one is even out of date, right? This is a culture being shaped toward our desire, not our prefrontal cortex, not what we know to be true, but that gut-level desire. Here's another quote from Victor Lebo, a journal of retailing in the similar vein. Check this out. Our enormously productive economy demands that we make consumption our way 
of life, that we convert the buying and use of goods into rituals, that we, spe- that we seek our spiritual satisfactions, our ego satisfactions in consumption. The measure of social status, of social acceptance, of prestige is now to be found in our consumptive patterns. He goes on, and he says, the very meaning and significance of our lives today to be expressed in consumptive terms. We need things to be consumed, burned up, worn out, replaced, and discarded at an ever-increasing pace. We need to have people eat, drink, dress, ride, live with ever more complicated and therefore constantly more expensive consumption. It's the world we live in, isn't it? And there's some people behind the scenes pulling the strings at our hearts, hitting that desire in our bellies and not the, the logical side what we know to be true. Let me give you some stats if you want to write these down. This is crazy, okay? You and I are bombarded with 5,000 advertisements a day at our unconscious drive. You know that. But the average American today has over 300,000 items in their home. Compared to 50 years ago, we consume two times as much as we used to. And then in, in, in increasing over 50 years ago, the average home has tripled in size, which I know it doesn't feel like that in Boulder sometimes. <laughs> And maybe it might not be true, but on average, the average home has tripled in size. Now check this out. While simultaneously, 25% of people who have two-car garages cannot park in them because of the amount of clutter in their garages. Now this is astonishing. In the world of storage wars, and we have so much stuff that we don't even have room for it, that we gotta rent storage units. There is enough storage space in America owned by Americans that there is enough for every single American, homeless population, rich, poor, doesn't matter. There's enough storage space in America for every single American to have 7.3 square feet of storage. You know what that means? We could literally sleep our entire nation in our storage units for our stuff while we have homelessness as a massive problem. Isn't that, isn't that interesting? The average debt in America right now is $15,000 alone in credit card debt. And by the way, there's a rich version of this, a middle class version, a, you know, and, and a working class version. There's different versions of this, but the stats are the same. They're just different levels of stuff. Here's, the, here's what's interesting. When it comes to measuring the poverty levels toward consumption and simplicity, from poverty up to the $70,000 mark of income a year, Happiness has been shown to increase with the increase in wealth. So, you know, you're making $40,000 a year and you're slowly going up for a family of four, up to $70,000, happiness does indeed increase. But what we found is that the $70,000 mark, no matter what you have access to, no matter what's going on, happiness plateaus and eventually begins to decrease. What we're finding is that once you hit a number, there's no longer happiness to be found in the pursuit of more stuff. A middle-class life begins to plateau. And so, so to quote the notorious B.I.G., more money, more problems is what we're seeing in our culture. You guys with me? This is not something new to you, but we have more than enough data. The cultural stats are in that consumerism is killing us. We have more of everything, as Americans specifically, we have more of everything except happiness and margin, don't we? We see depression on the rise, and it's not because of a lack of the advertisements telling you what you need to be happy. We know this in our hearts. More more stuff does not lead to the good life. In fact, maybe more stuff is sabotaging the good life. 
The famous Rockefeller said it this way when he was asked, how much money, more money do you need as a, as a rich oil tycoon? He said, just a little bit more. I don't know how much I need, but just a little bit more. And that's where all of us, contentment is just like just outside of our reach, isn't it? Just a little more time, a little more money, a few more hours, a little more stuff. And so for many of you, we're followers of Jesus even, and we would say we love God, but man, our, our attention, our time, our resources, our lives, there's no margin, we're distracted. So here's the question today. Is, is there a practice from the way of Jesus that can set us free from the bombardment towards our desires, this endless consumption, and that can actually point us toward contentment and margin and that life that is truly life? Is there something in the way of Jesus that could address that? And the answer is no. Let's go home. That's a joke, right? No, of course there is. Of course there is. That's why we're here. And the answer is simplicity. It's simplicity. And by the way, just for the, what it's worth, the church has not done a very good job of addressing this conversation. I don't know what your background is and what you've been exposed to, but maybe you've been exposed to, you know, the church saying, hey, give 10% of your income to the church, to honor God, whatever. But then the church never speaks into the other 90, 90%. The church has done a poor job. It's kind of like, hey, make sure you give 10% to God, but then everything else, you know, like, it's, it's yours. Like, God is not involved in that. Do whatever you want. That's poor, poor stewardship and help. And so the church has failed at that, I think. But here's, what you, here's what's interesting in light of that stat, is that 25% of Jesus' teachings in the New Testament are on money and stuff. Can you imagine if every fourth sermon here at City Church was on money and stuff? Like, no one would come back, right? would <laughs> be like, I'm not going to that church, right? And I need you to understand, most of Jesus' teachings weren't toward rich people, right? That's kind of where our minds go sometimes. Not only are we among the wealthiest in the world, top 2%, depending on um, just living in America on, on its own, but, but Jesus wasn't even talking to rich people. He lived in an agrarian society, and, and most of his audience were not rich. They're middle class or even lower class, marginalized workers. And so I need you to understand, for Jesus, when he talks about money, it's not because he was, you know, doing a, a fundraising campaign, Right? Jesus was aware of the condition of our souls and our proclivity towards consumerism. And here's what Jesus knows that you, you and I might not know, at least not, not cognitively. It's that when we consume things, the more that we consume, the more that those things begin to consume us. And so Jesus speaks to the heart. That's why Jesus said in Acts chapter 20, verse 35, he said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. That word blessed, it, it, you could be translated more happier Literally, there is more joy found in giving than receiving, in contributing rather than consuming. And so again, I want to invite you with the time that we have left into this very simple practice of simplicity. And simplicity is very, very simply less is more living. So what would it look like to take Jesus seriously, seriously here? Is, is there a teaching in the way of Jesus, again, that, that speaks to this? And I think the answer is yes. Now, prior to our Western culture, this is actually an ancient practice. The practice of sim simplicity is something that goes back further than, you know, our current movement of minimalism or whatever we, you know, we see. It, it, it originally was called frugality, which we don't use a lot because all you think of is like Scrooge, you know, around Christmas time and pinching pennies and stuff. So we don't use that word a lot, but it comes from the Latin word frux, which literally means a fruitful life or to have joy 
joy or to enjoy life, which again, we're talking about margin and, and life that is truly life. A, a more modern term of this is going to be like simple living or, or minimalism has been coined as of late. And while it's not you know, strictly a, a, a Jesus movement, uh, there's a, a guy named Joshua Becker who has pioneered a lot of that work. Um, he's a former pastor, loves Jesus, and is doing that work. He has a great book on minimalism I highly recommend as well. But again, it's, it's, it's this invitation into simple living. So let me give you a couple of things. What is simple, simplicity not? What it, what it is? And then just a few things to do this week. I'm going to just give you a seven-day trial run. You guys with me? Okay. Money-back guarantee. Because, right, anyway. All right. Seven-day trial run, all right? What, what is simplicity not? It's not architecture. <laughs> Okay, just, just a heads up. It's not architecture or design. It's not organizing your stuff. Actually, that's kind of antithetical to simplicity, right? Unless you live in a, you know, single bedroom, you know, uh, uh, apartment, which you might. <laughs> um, but, like, organizing is normally just the purpose of making more room for more stuff, right? So it's kind of antithetical. You know, Marie Kondo is a little bit helpful, but, you know, wh- whatever. All right, it's not a fad. This is not just a fad. This is not about living with nothing, by the way. The conversation of simplicity is about living with less. Less of what doesn't matter, more of what does. Um, and then also, this is not about decluttering our closets, by the way, okay? This is about decluttering our lives. Don't miss the heart in this conversation. So, what is simplicity? Let me give you just a couple of quotes. Richard Foster defines it this way. Simplicity is the inward reality of single-hearted focus upon God and his kingdom, which results in an outward lifestyle of modesty, openness, and unpretentiousness, what a word, right? And which disciplines our hunger for status, glamour, and luxury. Isn't that good? Joshua Becker defines it this way. He says, simplicity is the intentional promotion of the things that we most value and the removal of anything that distracts us from them. Jan Johnson says it this way. It's intentionally arranging our life around God. That's the invitation of simplicity. And lastly, John Mark Comer, in his book, The Ruthless Elimination of Hurry, says it this way. Simplicity is limiting the number of our possessions, expenses, and social obligations. I love that he kind of includes not just margin and money, but time and stuff too, right? To a level where we are free to live joyfully in the kingdom with Jesus. Isn't that good? This is the invitation of simplicity. So let me show you this incredible invitation from Matthew 6. This is how we're going to end our time. Matthew 6, 21, Jesus says this. Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. What you treasure. This is bigger than money, right? This is where you invest your life. There your treasure is. Your heart will follow. And so I want you to notice something. Jesus is not on the front end giving commands around money and stuff. He's actually making observations. Isn't that interesting? This is just an observation. Jesus knows the human heart well enough to say, hey, by the way, where we invest, what we treasure, our heart follows. He goes on to say in this same conversation, Matthew 6, 24, no one can serve two masters. This is another observation. No one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other. You're going to be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot Not you should not. This is not a command. This is an observation. Jesus makes an observation. You cannot serve both God and stuff, money, mammon, this God of consumerism, this deep desire in our belly that's never satisfied for more. He says your heart doesn't have room for both. 
Now let me show you this, Matthew 6, 25. This is, this is the incredible encouragement. After a couple of observations, check out the command he does give us. If you're a follower of Jesus, Jesus says, therefore I tell you, do not buy more stuff. Do not shop on Amazon anymore. Right now, what does he say? Do not be anxious about your life. Jesus understands that money, stuff, time, all that stuff is intrinsically connected to the anxiety that we carry. How interesting. What you're going to eat, what you're going to drink, or what about your body, what you're going to put on. You're like, uh, Jesus, question, that's exactly what I'm worried about. Have you lived in Boulder? Like, do you understand how much rent is here? He says, is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. Neither, they neither sow or reap or gather into barns. And yet, look at the language. Your heavenly Father feeds them. Aren't you of more value than they are? He goes on. And he says in verse 27, And which of you, by being anxious, can even add a single hour to a span of life? And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow, and they neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all of his glory, this is an Old Testament king, the richest man on the planet, even in all of his glory, he was not arrayed like one of these. He can't even compete to the beauty of the lilies. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown in the oven, will he not much more clothe you? Oh, you have little faith? And then Jesus goes on. Check this out, this amazing invitation. One more time, he repeats it. Therefore, command, do not be anxious. Saying, what are we going to eat? What are we going to drink? What are we going to wear? What are we going to watch on Netflix? <laughs> right? Don't be anxious. For the Gentiles seek after, these are you know, non-followers of Jesus, the Gentiles seek after all these things. And check this out. Here's, here's where the confidence is rooted in this command. Your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. And then here's the command. Check it out. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all of these things will be added to you. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. I love this. For Jesus, the invitation of simplicity is this contentment found in your relationship with God. There is security to let go of all of the worry and anxiety and stuff not of your own effort, but by allowing this reminder, your heavenly Father, God, who loves you. You have access to God as Father. That is enough to change what we pursue. And so as Daniel comes, I want you to reflect on this space. To seek first. Let me ask you a question. What is a kingdom made of? For Jesus, a kingdom is about people. There is no kingdom without people. So to seek God's kingdom and to seek his righteousness, what is his righteousness? It's not of ourselves, but rather in the character of God. What is Jesus saying? It's the same thing he says in Matthew 22. You give your attention. You seek first God and people. There's only two things on this planet that last forever. And that's me and you. You and I seek first God and people. And he says everything else is going to take care of itself. And what this does is it begins to create margin in our lives. Here's what I'm going to do. This week, we're going to send out some resources for you to practice simplicity. Very simply, it looks like this. Two things. It's learning to clear out. I'm sorry, learning to cut back and learning to clear out. We're going to give you more instructions on those. Just something to practice. Seven-day free trial. 
give it a shot. Cut back one thing, clear out something. We're gonna, we're, we're gonna send you guys those. You can watch our social media platforms, all of that to catch just a very simple practice on simplicity. But before we go there, I wanna give you just some closing thoughts. The effort here is not abandoning material. Like God's not against nice stuff, okay? But it's better to have some nice stuff that you own than a bunch of junk that owns you. Does that make sense? Craig Rochelle says it this way, the richest people in the world are not those who own the most, but those that need the least. For Jesus, he's inviting us into this deep relationship with God that overflows into contentment. And we're just creating margin and space to experience that life. You might not have the privilege, but, it, but I, I've had the privilege of going around the world and seeing you know, d- just Jesus followers in, in third world countries and places where, where there's you know, lack in a, in a very real way. And you know what's most challenging to my soul is that I've been around Jesus followers who literally have nothing. Dirt floors in the space that they're worshiping in. No PA systems. You know, they, they have barely enough to feed their families. And I've seen Jesus followers who have nothing, but they worship Jesus like they have everything. And, and, and you look at that, I look at that and I say, man, I wish I had the margin in my laughter. I, I, I wish I had the passion like that. And you ask the question, man, what does it take to get there? In the words of St. Francis, we must lead a cheerful, happy revolt against the spirit of materialism. That's the invitation of simplicity. Or in the words of Jesus, we're invited to seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, to love God and people, to let those two things steer every other thing. Guys, listen to me. Your life is too valuable. Your calling is too great. Your God is too good to waste your life on meaningless things. We get one chance at this. We get one life to spend. And so I'm going to trade in stuff for relationships. I'm going to trade in the busyness and the hurry for margin and peace and experiences. And above all, I'm creating room to have a deep and abiding relationship with God that overflows in my life into purpose and passion and joy and peace. And so the good life is not found in big tires on your forerunner <laughs> or eating out 10 times a month or a bigger house or more stuff or one more drink. What if the good life is actually found in a relationship? characterized by simple living, radical generosity, and a gratitude overflowing for the simple pleasures in life. Hurry, busyness, overload, right? This this culture that we live in, it's crowding out the capacity we have for love and joy and peace. And I know you want that. But here's the invitation from simplicity. It helps us shape our lives with margin to both give and receive the love of God. So some of you, I know you're leaning in, and I know this is a 30,000 foot view, and so you're like, oh, what do I do? Stay tuned, okay? But some of you are like, man, I, I want to believe this. I want, I want to receive it. I want to live it. I want to pursue it. 
And I want to encourage you, man. What, what is your next step? What has God already put his finger on in your life? Something you need to cut back, something you need to clear out. But some of you, listen, you're not followers of Jesus. You've been pursuing your whole life, a lot like I was. Didn't grow up in the church or around the church, chasing anything and everything to fill the gap in my life. And I was pursuing anything and everything to fill that void. But you know the problem? If, I mean, if you're not a follower of Jesus and you're chasing that void, you and I are looking to material things to fill a spiritual void. That what you and I are looking for can't be found in anything around us but it's found in a relationship with Jesus. And so I need you to understand, if you're not a follower of Jesus, Jesus, the Son of God, he died to forgive our sins. He rose again to make us new, to make us right with God and give us new life that leads into the good life. And so if you have never taken a step toward Jesus and said yes to him, could today be the day for you to say, Jesus, I need you to save me and set me free and I want to walk with you into the life that is truly